This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. It's quite possible that many of you are thinking, boy, the Rona was sure hard on him. (laughs) And uh, it was, as I know it was for many of us. I'm not going to have a pity party for Dane this morning, but I do, I bring that up because uh, I want to share with you what I learned through my hardships. That's my goal. I think that it's wise for us to examine each situation that we face or that we find ourselves faced with in life and try to draw it back to God some way, even though it can be very difficult, especially in the moment. So I'm going to start off by giving a sharing a very uh, personal experience through the process, and maybe you can understand my heart. Uh, By the way, it's good to see everybody. It's good to be up here and uh, speaking God's word before you. So So about day 10 for me with uh, not feeling very well, been in bed most of those days, at least the first seven was pretty much completely spent in bed. About day seven-ish or so, I was mentally as, as mentally as exhausted as I was physically. Uh, it's hard to explain if you didn't, you know, if you haven't experienced it. Some of you have. We've discussed it. But I, it's like I was just like this mental just fatigue and exhaustion set in where I, I was not who it, it was. Ask Megan. She probably already told you. But about day 10, I, I started, you know, trying to walk around a little bit more around the house. I tried to the best I could through that time period, you know, stay away from everybody, <clears throat> which was for me the hardest. So about day 10, uh, I had all I could handle of being away from the girls and Megan. Megan was, she came around me because she was my nurse, but the girls pretty much stayed away. So about day 10, I'd had all I could have and I needed I needed the kids, especially Emmy, because we spent a lot of time together. She's really loving, and, uh, you know, holding your baby is is quite a wonderful thing. And I hadn't had that. So the mental exhaustion and not having that was just, I had had enough. So I, I woke up pretty early that morning, and it was, I heard her in there kind of, you know, tossing around and, and mumbling, so I knew she was starting to wake up. So I, I finally broke down. I went in there, and I picked her up, and she smiled at me, and I sat in her bed with her, and I held her, and I cried uncontrollably for several minutes. And it was so weird. Uh, it was like it was just... It's like I'd woken up in a whole new world that day. So strange. And as I sit there holding her, and I'm not trying to be emotional, that's not my goal this morning, but I was that day because it was just, there was no stopping it. And as I sat there and held her, it was like things just flashed through my mind like they had never done before. Uh, Quite a unique experience. It was like I I looked back on, on 
so many scenes of my life, and there was this great time of reflection and self-examination that I, I honestly probably have never experienced before. So weird. I just I know 10 days of sick, no big deal, but it, it had done some, some mental exhaustion on me and brought me to a certain place that I'd probably never experienced. So that's what I want to share this morning is this, I want us to focus on self-examination. I was fortunate enough to experience that, and, and it opened my eyes to so much. As, as much and painful and difficult as that, that was and still is to some degree as I clear my throat this morning, but I'll tell you what I learned through it was very valuable. It was a pearl, and I want to share that, that same thought process with you guys. So I want to encourage us this morning to self-examine. And there's no age range that this applies to. If you're old enough to hear and understand, it applies to you. And if you're too old to hear, then it really probably doesn't apply to you. So I don't think we have any of those. Self-examination. I think as we dig into this, we'll find out just how difficult it is to do, especially on on a daily basis, you know, throughout regular day-to-day living is is extremely difficult. So we want to look at self-examination. Benjamin Franklin said there are three things that are extremely hard. Steel, diamonds, and to know oneself. And how true that is. To really examine our hearts and be truthful. Now, my self-examination in that time period was like how I spent my time, how my energy was used. You know, the things that I did in my life, were they purposeful? Were they meaningful? Did they have value to God? Those are the types of things. So this morning, as I encourage you to self-examine, there's not a specific parameter that I want you. I want you to look at your life and examine it. I want you to examine your actions, thoughts, your speech, your attitude, your heart. So not necessarily one specific thing because each each of us obviously are going through and experiencing different things. So just examine yourself. The church at Corinth. You remember when Paul... When he's writing to the Corinthians, he said that I've been through shipwrecks, I've been through beatings, lashes, I have been stoned, I've been thrown out of cities. He said, but do you know what was more cumbersome and burdensome than all those things? Does anybody remember? What was it, Kayla? The care for the churches. And I always thought that would be kind of I get it to some degree, but I never really understood what he meant by that. The care of the churches was more mentally and physically exhausting to him than being shipwrecked and being stoned. Think about that for a second. He said, above all those, it was the care of the church. And I'm fixing to explain to you why he said that. So as he dealt with, he, he, imagine he went to the, this all, all over the place, but he, he ends up at the church there at, at Corinth and He's the founder, essentially. He starts and establishes the church. He 
pours himself into this group of Christians. And you know how they respond to him? If you read through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, they destroy him. The apostle that came to them to love on them and to share with them Jesus, they pretty much just hammer. It's sad. It's horrible. The Corinthians were the critics of their time. And they gave themselves great credit for this knowledge and this wisdom that they possessed. They were puffed up as, a, as a, an area, as a town, as a city. They thought themselves quite wise and they held their, themselves in high esteem. But they used this wisdom and learning in a way that brought about attacks and trying to discredit the Apostle Paul. They even criticized his letters. You know, Paul didn't always get to go there and visit with them, so he wrote letters to them. And we'll get into some of the letters here in a minute, but they, this is what they had to say of Paul in 2 Corinthians. They said his letters are weighty and strong, you know, oh man, powerful. But his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Man, you know how painful that would be if you were the Apostle Paul and you poured out everything for that church at Corinth. You remember when he says that I labored in Corinth physically so that I wouldn't even be a burden to you financially. Yet they say, oh yeah, his letters, just imagine their, their criticism, their, uh, their boldness, their critique of him. Yeah, his letters were strong and he appeared powerful. We thought he was a mighty man, but in person, pretty weak and not impressive. Very critical of the Apostle Paul, who had great, great godly love for them. They went as far as to deny his apostleship. Paul even came to the point where he said, you have pushed me so far that I have become a fool. That I have said and done foolish things because you have pushed me so hard. He had to commend himself, which that was not his style. That was not who he was. And he had to constantly defend himself among this people. Let's look at and examine the church at Corinth. Let's examine them for a second. They wanted to fillet Paul open like you would dissect a frog and, and examine it. They, wanted, they did that and wanted to do that with Paul. Everything he did, they, they examined and they challenged and they pushed. Let's look at the church at Corinth. Paul says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants. Now, is he being judgmental and critical? No, he's being truthful and honest. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are you not of the flesh and behaving in a human way? It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, he said. 
and you are arrogant, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Continue on with his review, critiquing of this group of this body of, it's maybe similar to us, right? A body of Christians. This is his criticism of them. It says, when you, when one of you has a grievance against another, this is, and I'll paraphrase some of it, this is when there was issues with, with people getting in disputes in the church and they would take their disputes to, to outside of the church and, and take it to judges, if you will, and they would sue each other inside the church. That would be like me suing Jason. And I take it, you know, we can't handle it between ourselves, so I hire a lawyer, he hires a lawyer, we go to the courts. That's what the Christians there at Corinth were doing. Disputing so bad that they were taking each other to court. So in verse 4 he says, uh, So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? You're taking them to worldly people and you're expecting them to resolve godly issues or issues that should be held and dealt with in a godly way. I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle disputes between the brothers? Sure, he's saying, surely there is. But brothers, go to law against brother and that, and that before unbelievers. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. You're already defeated when you get to the point where you want to sue each other. But it's happening. You are already defeated. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? God's saying, or Paul's saying, Dane, or maybe let's say I wronged Jason. Jason, suffer. Suffer. Dane shouldn't have done that, right? He sinned. He was, he was wrong, but suffer. Lose some money. Lose some pride. It's not worth suing each other over. Would you rather not be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. This is a scathing review of the church. Imagine if that was us. I mean, honestly, stop and think about that for a second. Imagine if, if this were true about us as a church. You would think for a second, you would think, well, surely we wouldn't get to that point. Or surely, you know, we would stop it before it got that bad. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. And why did he say do not be deceived? Because they were. They were deceived. Into thinking that a church could, could act this way. And this was the same group of people that criticized Paul's apostleship and challenged uh, his right to be able to preach the gospel. This was the same group of people. Seems quite unfair. We'll go on at 1 Corinthians 11. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So <laughs> your fellowship isn't even doing good. It's actually causing harm. It's doing more damage than good. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. There's divisions, there's Separation, there's cliques and groups, there's preference. Sounds like a wonderful church. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, 
For in eating, each one goes ahead of his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God? Shall I commend you? No, I will not. So, after Paul receives this scathing review from this group of Christians about his performance or about his right to be an apostle, he examines them. And my estimation is that whenever he called them out for their sin, for them uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper in a way that was totally off the mark, they began to hate Paul. They began to hate his his honest review of them and their hearts. He began to they began to despise who he was and what he stood for. All because they were more interested in examining Paul than examining themselves. There was no place for that in their lives, not as individuals, not as families, and certainly not as a church. And this is an attack on our church, an attack on any individual. I may say something up here that uh, strikes a chord with your heart, not intentional, uh, but I want us to realize that there, how important this church here, founded upon Paul's teachings, found themselves in this horrible state of, of decay. And that's hard to believe to me that not long after it was formed, this is, this is the church at Corinth. This is the picture that's painted. And it was all because they failed to examine themselves and see what place they were in God's eyes. Yet they, and they were more important, they were more interested in destroying Paul's reputation and challenging him than looking at their own hearts. And that's the danger that I want us to look at this morning. I want each of you to not look at me and think about me as standing up here before you and criticism of me or what I say, but criticism of yourselves. An open examination of your own heart, which is very difficult to do as we read in our quote a minute ago. It's hard. Self-examination is painful, and it hurts. I know that. It is not only the most difficult thing to know oneself, but also the most inconvenient. To judge ourselves honestly and openly against God's Word is inconvenient. As we set our lives on cruise control, You know, that road construction that has, has, makes us push the brakes, it inconveniences us. Having coronavirus inconvenienced my life. But it, it's like those rumble strips. It, it woke me up, so to speak. It woke me up. It caused a fire in my heart that hadn't been there in a long time. So here's what Paul says after all this. Uh, this was his admonishment to them. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks. That This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged we would judge ourselves truly, then we would not be judged. Man, the importance of self-evaluation and examination is pivotal in our lives. 
He also says again, in a different context, examine yourselves. So, you guys have a lot against me as your apostle, as your teacher, as the one who has loved you with all my heart and effort. You've had a lot to say against me, but I challenge you to examine yourself, Paul tells them. Examine yourselves. Not just to see if you're you know, sinning in this area or failing in this area, or maybe you need to adjust your time and your schedule to, to better honor God, but he says, examine yourselves, what? To see if you're even in the faith. To see if you even have faith. Quite an admonishment. He goes on and says, test yourselves. Or do you not realize that this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? The test. I hope you will find out that we have not failed the test. He says that about him and the other apostles. I hope you'll find out in examining yourselves that we, the apostles, have not failed the test. It's not us that is failing this test of faith. It is you, church, at Corinth, not you, church, Y'all, thems. It's you, church. <clears throat> Examine yourselves. Right now, are you examining yourself? Often, I'll just say that it, we don't slow down enough to examine ourselves. I was forced to be in bed for a week and a half or two before I had true, out of my natural ability, a self-examination. And maybe that's what it took for me. My, like my eyes were open to a lot of things. And it made a big difference. So... The church put Paul, the Apostle Paul on the stand, didn't they? This is like a courtroom. They put him on the stand and they examined him. They said, Paul, you this, you that, what about this? You know, we're really good at putting other people on the stand, aren't we? Why, think about the verse that talks about how you ought to check yourself before you wreck your... No, that's not what it's... You ought to examine yourself to make sure that, you know... I go to somebody to get that, that stick out of your eye or that twig while I have a beam in my own eye. How many verses are there about us being too hasty to judge or focusing on other people's faults and not our own? Well, we're really good and really, really uh, quick at putting other people on the stand. I think that's natural to us. It's more comforting than putting ourselves on the stand. Right? It stinks. It's hard. And we'll talk about why here in a minute. <clears throat> a quote from John Flavel says, it is easier to cry against 1,000 sins of others than to kill one of your own. Than to kill just one of your own. How true that is when we really self-examine. So as we talk about this courtroom theme, this setting here, I want us to imagine that we are the defendant, we are the prosecutor, we are the judge, and we are the witness. It's us. 
You know, when you see a, a court case or if you watch, you know, any of that type of stuff, which I don't watch a lot of it, but you hear about cross-examination, you know. So let's say that uh, I call a witness to the stand and he's my witness, right? I'm, we're trying to prove our case, so I call my witness. Well, then this other lawyer is going to come up for the, for the other person and, and cross-examine this witness. And what they try to do is they try to catch him in a lie, don't they? They try to... I, as that person's lawyer, may have found loopholes for him. I may have worded it in exactly a perfect way where he didn't have to say the truth, but he didn't have to lie either. And, that, and if that other uh, lawyer is good, he's going to cross-examine. And he's going he's gonna to dig in. He's going to challenge you. And he's going to try to, if, if there was a loophole that you got through, he's going to try to find it. And if there's a lie, if there's a uh, deception in any way, if he's good... He's going to ask good questions that bring that out and prove that you are a liar. Right? Can you imagine yourself sitting there being the prosecutor, both attorneys, the defendant, and the person on the stand at the same time? That's hard. It would be us calling ourselves a liar. It would be us cross-examining our own hearts and seeing where we have defrauded ourselves and each other. That's why self-examination is so difficult. When you look at it, the courtroom scene, you know, I, put, I can put you on the stand, and I can grill you, and I can point out your flaws and your imperfections, and I can see everything about you that I dislike. But when I put me on the stand, I'm going to take it quite easy. because I don't want to see my flaws. It's an inconvenience to know the truth about myself often. But can I be trusted? Can I be trusted to examine myself? Can I be trusted to cross-examine myself? Can we be trusted? Paul says in Corinthians, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. So, no, I can't be trusted. Let no one deceive himself. What is his point here is that we can deceive ourselves. We can think that we are safe and secure. We can think that we are, are, we got, it's like the theme of cruise control just keeps coming into my mind. We set cruise control and we're just good to go. We don't really, you don't really think about your surroundings a lot. You can even almost doze off on cruise control. But we are deceived. And we can deceive ourselves. And I'm not accusing of anyone, anyone of deceiving yourself or that uh, you've done anything wrong, but I, I, just to challenge us to examine ourselves. Jeremiah 17, <clears throat> verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. And it cannot be trusted. And it's desperately sick. Who can understand it? Our hearts can deceive us. We can, we can tell ourselves something and it not be true at all. We can be like that witness on the stand that tells a little bit of the truth, but you know, skates around the, the mistruth or the lie. We can do that to ourselves. I can do that and say that you know, my time, you know, how I spent my time this week was justifiable, you know, versus something that I should have done. 
I can justify it in my mind, right? We do that to ourselves, don't we, if we're honest? We justify. And this, well, I had to do this. You know, I just, I had to. That's just my personality. I, I had to go do this. I didn't have a choice. And we neglect what we know that we should have done. That is the difficulty with self-examination. It's hard. It's painful. Isaiah 44 and 20 speaks of an idolater who is misled by his own deluded heart, is what he, what he refers to it as. He feeds on ashes. A deluded heart has led him astray, and he cannot deliver himself or say... He, he, he's so deluded of heart, he's so misunderstands himself that he cannot even say, he cannot even examine himself to see if there is a lie in him. He's not willing to. Is there a lie in my right hand? He's not even willing to be honest about that because he has a deluded heart that has led him astray. Our hearts can lead us astray. We may have a great passion about something and it's leading us astray. It's very possible. The prophet Obadiah identifies arrogance, pride, as one of the roots of self-deception. When he says, the pride of your heart has deceived you. Pride pride is like that church at Corinth that destroyed Paul's reputation. Just tried to rip him apart because of pride. How many times do we criticize somebody else knowing that we are wretched that we are pitiful. It is so much easier to judge and to be a critic of others than it is ourselves. It doesn't hurt when I criticize you. Not at all. Not a bit. But when I tear myself apart, it is agonizing. And you know when I was crying there holding the Emmy, My only thought was my imperfections. When I came to that honest point, I didn't look at anybody. I didn't have a thought for one single person in the audience. And then not in a selfish way, but in the most unselfish way. And it wasn't controllable. Again, this isn't me bragging. This was I found myself at a point where I had no other choice but to break down and lose it. And my only thought was my imperfections. I didn't get there on my own. I was put there, and uh, sadly enough, that's what it took for me. So a good prosecuting attorney that puts that witness on the stand and cross-examines, yeah, but you said this earlier, what about what, you know, what about in an interview you said this, but later you said this, right, having good information. You know what the number one tool for a good lawyer is? Any, a good question. Good question. A good question can can break us down. A good question can cause us to lie or to be open to examine ourselves. Let me give you some examples. Ask the right. So as we put ourselves on the stand and we're the attorney that's cross-examining ourselves, let's ask ourselves the right questions. Hard questions. So I'm going to ask some questions that are hard. may not apply to any of you, but you'll get the gist. Maybe they do. 
But this is a type of real self-examination that I'm talking about this morning. Have any of your financial dealings lacked integrity? Have you spent adequate time in Bible study and prayer? Have you given priority time to your family? Are you in your private life as you appear to be in your public life? Are you for the first time realizing that you may not be following Christ? Does your life resemble the values of the world more than it does the word? Are you devoted to the church body? Do you appreciate and obey your parents? Do you make excuses to avoid fulfilling spiritual responsibilities? None of those are easy questions to answer if we're honest. No one wants to get up on the stand and be a witness. But the church at Corinth didn't want to know that about themselves either, did they? They didn't want to hear what Paul had to say. And we often don't want to hear what we know should be said about ourselves. Asking hard questions can tear down the lies in our hearts, but we have to be willing to ask ourselves these questions. I can't rely on anybody else to to be honest with me in that regard, but myself. We have got that's why Paul, in all his his rebuttals to the church at Corinth, in all his his scathing review of them, that's why his admonishment was not listen to my examination of you, it was to examine yourselves. Because that's the only way that true change can come about is when we come to grips with ourselves and our deceitful hearts. That's hard. It's it's hurts. It's painful. It is very painful. And I know that. Search me, O God. God knows us. Does He not? No, no doubt about it. No question about it. So what, what is this verse here? Or what do these verses mean? Are we asking God to search us? Because He already has, and He does, and He is. What we want is His searching to align with our searching. We're saying, God, help, help search me out that I may know me. That I may know the flaws, the, the pride, the arrogance, the deceitfulness that lies within me. Search that out and let me know it. Help me search it out. Search me, O God, and know my heart, that deceitful, wicked thing that's within me. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me into the way of everlasting. How, Job says, how many are my iniquities and my sins? Make me know my transgressions and sins. God, help us to want to examine ourselves. Help us to see our lives for what they are so that we don't waste them. Right? I know none of us want to waste our lives. I know we all want to live with purpose. Jeremiah said, I, in Jeremiah, the Lord said, I, the Lord, search the heart and I test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Don't we want to know God's review of us? So when we say, search me, search me, O God, it's saying, help me to know my ways. 
Help me to know my iniquities and help me to know my fruits that I know that I am in line with you. And then Psalms, prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Test me. Challenge me. Let me know where I stand with you. <clears throat> now I ask the question, what will I do with all this self-examination? What will you do with it? Maybe think, well, that was a decent lesson. <laughs> you know, or he talked for a lot longer than he should have, probably. Or, man, he wasn't very prepared. I really want us to examine our hearts. I wish you could have felt what my heart felt in my day of examination. It was painful and freeing all at the same time in an incredible way. So what will you do with this self-examination? Let me give you a simple illustration. That's a horse. That's Ava's horse. We saw that horse and we liked that horse. We thought, that's a pretty horse. And so we asked the, the man, can we, can we walk it around the round pen at his farm? Can we check it out? You know. So we did. We, it was cold out. I remember it was freezing and windy and nasty. And we're inspecting this horse because Ava wanted her first horse. So we did. We walked it. She walked it around the round pen. We had the guy kind of lope it around. And so we were inspecting it. We were examining this horse. And after examination, we bought it. No. Do you believe that? Do you believe that's all it took before we bought this thousand pound animal that Ava would put her body on? <laughs> no. No. That's not what we did. So I want you to examine yourselves. Just like we examine that horse, but it does not end there. That's just the beginning. So after we examined the horse, we thought, okay, it has a good demeanor. It seems to be friendly. It played well with Ava. <laughs> and uh, so guess what? Lamentations 30 and verse, or 3 and verse 40 says, Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Psalm says, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimony. So both of those indicate self-reflection and examination, but then what? Action. So what will I do with all this self-examination? There has to be some action if there's a flaw found, right? Action. What action did Ava take? She rode the thing. She got on it. I'm sorry to embarrass you, I know, probably, but this... This is real world here. So upon examination, we found a pretty good horse. But it wasn't until she rode it, and actually we brought it home and asked the guy if we could keep it for a week or so and test it out before we committed completely. It was, it was upon testing the horse. It was upon putting it in the round pin and, and watching it work and act and put Ava on it and let her work it before we knew how that horse was going to respond or what kind of horse it was. So self-examination is pointless unless there's action taken. It has no value unless we test ourselves with that examination. James 
says, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Now listen to this last part, deceiving yourselves. How many times are we deceived that we are in line with God's word? We have knowledge of what His word says, but we're not doing it. We're just simply not doing it. We are hearers all day long, but we are not doers. Children, young adults, kids, you know what God's Word says about your parents and your relationship with them. To honor your father and mother in the Lord. This is pleasing to God. Do you do it? Do you examine your heart to see if you do it? Do you examine your heart to see why you don't do it? If it's pride, if it's arrogance, if it's Peer pressure, whatever the case may be, do we truly examine ourselves? Do we test ourselves? Don't be deceived. I don't want to be deceived. I don't want to deceive myself because I am, I am the most deceptive person to me is my own heart. I want to read this for you real quick. I want to read a little clip here that... Uh, Haddon Spurgeon wrote on this topic of self-examination. He says, look over at the captain yonder, a ship captain. He is in his ship, and he says to his sailors, you must sail very wearily and carefully and be upon your watch, for to tell you the truth, I do not know where I am. <laughs> Imagine we're the crew, I'm the captain, I'm saying, guys, listen, you're not going to get to sleep tonight. Put the sails down, put them away. It's going to be a long night because I have no idea where we are. I do not exactly know my latitude and longitude, and there may be rocks very close ahead, and we may soon have the ship broken up. Mm. He goes down into the cabin. He searches his charts. He takes inspection of the heavens. He comes up again, and he says to his crew, Hoist the every sail and go along as merrily as you please. I have discovered where we are. The water is deep and there is wide sea room. There is no need for you to be in any trouble. Searching has satisfied me. What did he gain? What did he gain? Upon this search, this self-examination, we may find that we are, we are not to be weary. That we are not to be troubled at heart because our path is sure that our hearts are on the right track. And that's what we want. But he goes on and he says, and how happy it will be with you if after having searched yourself, you can say, I know in whom I believe and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him. Why then you will go on along merrily and joyfully because the search has had a good result. That's what we want. And what if it should bear bad results? Better that we should find it out now than find it out too late. One of the prayers I often pray and desire to pray as long as I live is this, Lord, let me know the worst of my case. Let me know the worst of my heart. If I've been living in a false comfort, Lord, render it away. Let me know just what I am, where I am, and rather let me think too harshly of my condition before thee than to think too securely 
and so be ruined by presumption. May that be the prayer of each heart and be heard in heaven. Spurgeon also wrote a quote, or said this, it says, It is not my aim to introduce doubts and fears in your mind. And that's not my goal this morning either. It's not to make you fear your salvation or your walk with God. It's to examine your hearts. Your, examine your walk with Him. Examine your life. It's not my aim to introduce doubts and fears in your mind. No, but I do hope that self-examination may help to drive these doubts and fears away. It is not security, but false security, which we would kill. Not confidence, but false confidence, which we would overthrow. Not peace, but false peace, which we would destroy. So, as I sit there with Emmy, this verse, this thought came to my mind that, God, I need to number my days. I need to cherish, you know, holding Emmy had never felt so good in my life. It was never so precious to me. But why? What had changed? Self-reflection. Self-examination of how thankful I was to hold her. And I had held her a thousand times before without, without breaking down in a, in a ball of nothing. But it was special this time. Because I understood and I had great value for the opportunity to hold her. And that's what self-examination did for me it was powerful it was painful my biggest fear now and the biggest danger that I face is having gone through that and doing nothing with it that's it that's where I stand now is having self-examined and looked at and put myself on trial and found myself to be a liar and a fraud and a cheat what will I do with that now that's my biggest challenge is how will I change how will I test myself and become better? How will I learn to cherish every time I get to hold Emmy as much as I did that time? It's tough. It's tough in the daily grind. It's tough on cruise control. Let's take our lives off of cruise control. Quit doing that. Let's quit making excuses. Let me quit making excuses for how I spend my time or what I value is important when I know for a fact that, that God does not value that in my life and that I am wasting my time. When we look at the church at Corinth, we think, how could they have gotten so bad? And we as a church ought to examine ourselves. Always examine ourselves to make sure that we are of the utmost calling, the high calling of God. Absolutely. When we look at the church at Laodicea, do you remember what it was said about them? And to the angel of the church at Laodicea write, the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works and that ye are neither hot or cold, that you are lukewarm. Would that you, I would, that you would rather, I would rather you be cold or hot, but not lukewarm. Now listen to this. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now this is, this is the kicker. For I say, I, for you say, as a congregation, as a church body, you say that I am rich. We are rich. We are prospered. Look at us as a church body. We do well. <laughs> we work hard. You know, among us, there's a lot of wealth accumulated. I have prospered. We do, you know, life is pretty good. And I don't need anything. Not, re not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. 
let us not be found individually in that kind of state when we had when we we were coasting. I, I I just don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste my time. I don't want to waste my energy. And I want to be honest with who I am before God. I don't want to be found in the last day poor, naked, wretched, pitiful. I don't. And I don't want any of us to. But we, we've got to self-examine. We've got to be honest with ourselves. We've got to be real. Uh, I wish you could have been in my mind and my heart that day and experienced what I experienced. But you can't. So I just tried to share it with you as best I could in this sermon this morning. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.